Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 65 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you on Tuesday, December 27th. We hope all of you out there had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy happy Hanukkah and a joyous Kwanzaa to everyone out there. Today we celebrate the second principle of Kwanzaa, which is Kujijagulia, which means self-determination. And we are self-determined to preview our next three basketball games, some general ACC impressions thus far in the season, and impressions about our team through the non-conference portion of the schedule. First up, I'm Donald Wine. I'm the captain of the ship this week. Also, we have our usual partners in crime in Atlanta, Jason Evans. What's up, man? Uh, dude, I want to hear you say that, what the second day of Kwanzaa is again. You're, you're educating me. I had no where, idea that where there was... Where did this come from? I had no idea there were themes. new. This is new. We did... We've done two. We've done two years of holiday time, and we have not heard one detail about Kwanzaa until this year. Uh, actually, I believe last year I talked about Kwanzaa, but we didn't actually record during Kwanzaa. So, no, no, no. Okay. Wait, wait. I just want to hear you say the name of it again. Kuji Jagulia. That is beautiful. That's great. That's gonna be like. That's gonna be my new mantra. I think. Self determination. We'll at least title the podcast with that. Oh, we got to. Yeah. How do we spell that? I got it. Don't worry. I got it. How many, a, how many A's are in that word? How many what? How many A's are in that word? Uh, there's quite a few. There's only two, actually. There's a lot of I's. <laughs> yeah, so, yes. Hi, Jason here. And I'm celebrating Hanukkah. And I have no idea what night of Hanukkah it is because um, my kids have gotten to be too old for us to do stuff eight nights in a row because we're all too busy. I think I'm a bad Jew. It was, it was, it was night three last night. Uh, and uh, and happy Hanukkah to all y'all. And that was Sam somewhere in Colorado. Are you still in Vail or are you back in Denver? No, back in Denver. And I realized just now, um, right before we started recording, that when I was in the mountains the other day, I brought all my I brought my microphone with me that I normally use to record. Um, turns out I didn't have it actually plugged into the computer. It was um, in <laughs> it's a it's a USB microphone. It was plugged into not a USB port. Um, so it wasn't actually capturing any audio and I guess that whatever audio you got on the last episode was just my, my computer speaker uh, or my computer microphone. You sounded fine. Yeah. So maybe I, maybe I didn't need this thing all along. You have a really good computer apparently. All right. Good to know. Anyway, uh, it's, it's also Hanukkah for me, but, um, but, uh, for everybody celebrating any holidays, I hope that they're all, they're all lovely. Exactly. Uh, And I had a very Merry Christmas yesterday and, uh, or two days ago. Um, was it two days ago? Yes, it is. Today's the 27th uh, that we're recording. But uh, yeah, so let's get into the games that we have coming up. Um, first off, Saturday, uh, ACC season kicks off. Uh, Duke travels to Blacksburg to take on Virginia Tech. And then after that, the week after uh, the new year, um, we have two home games, first against Georgia Tech on January 4th, and then Boston College against January 7th, uh, on January 7th. So what we did out there is, because there's three of us and there's three upcoming games, we each took one. So we're going to start with Virginia Tech, and Sam is on the clock. Okay. Uh, so as Donald mentioned, Virginia Tech is our first ACC game coming up this uh, this weekend, Saturday, at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg. We expect it to be a raucous crowd because it always is there, even though the students are on break. I noted that the game is sold out a week in advance, so you can expect all of the um, all of the ire and anger and and um, excitement from from any road acc game of course um you know because we talked about it so much last time grayson allen obviously will be at the forefront of the conversation even though he won't be playing in the game i'm sure we'll see plenty of uh signs and cheers and things directed at him while hang on uh, hang on hang on we we don't we don't know that we have no idea indefinite suspension means he could play i think we all really really doubt it we really really doubt and i think duke would get a ton of criticism in the media if he did play, if he doesn't sit at least one game. But sure. we don't know when he's going to play. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going forward with this preview, assuming that Grayson Allen will not be playing. Um, that is a safe, safe yeah. assumption, sir. <laughs> so Virginia Tech is interesting. Um, Buzz Williams has been there for a few years and has really built the team up into something good. They're, they're ranked 35th in Ken Palm. Um, and, and on both ends of the court, um, they play pretty well. They're 33rd in offense and 58 in defense. Um, they don't have any really spectacular wins so far this year. They did beat Michigan on the road in the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge, which was very impressive. Uh, it was a it was a close win. They have only one loss to um, to Texas A and M, um, so they're ten and one, which is a, a really strong start. They they do have one more 
um, cupcake game before they play us, but I don't think they're going to lose that because the last couple of cupcakes they've played, they have blown out um, by 20, 30, 40 point margins. So um, Virginia Tech is is interesting because I think two of their best players, um, Zach Lede and Seth Allen, are both uh, transfers and they both come off the bench for them. So the the starting lineup is is more um, sort of your normal sized lineup for a for a college basketball team. Um, when they are playing their five best players, who I think are Justin Robinson, Ahmed Hill, Zach Lede, Chris Clark, and Seth Allen, they're kind of undersized. The, the tallest player in that lineup is, is Lede, who's only 6'7", but that team can score a lot. Um, Allen, folks will remember, uh, he, he was at Virginia Tech last year, but pre, prior to that, he played at Maryland, um, and I believe was, was at Maryland when Maryland was still in the ACC for their final season. Lede is also a transfer. He, he came from USF. Uh, and is leading the team in scoring at almost 17 points a game, despite coming off the bench and uh, and seven rebounds on top of that. So so we'll we'll be watching out for him. Uh, it'll be curious to see if they if they go small um, because their because their best lineup doesn't feature especially big guys um, to see who's who's guarding who in that um, in that rotation. They have a really strong three point specialist in Ahmed Hill who uh, is averaging. Um, over 45% from, from three-point land and scores 14 points a game. So it's going to be a challenge to lock him up. They basically, they, they, have, they have lots of ways to score. They just don't really do it from the middle. Um, they kind of spread the ball around, and, uh, and they've had a really successful season, as I mentioned. Um, it, it's gotten better every year under Buzz Williams. And <laughs> I think that they're really going to be looking for, um, for a, a signature win here at the beginning of ACC season, obviously. Duke will have whatever distraction comes with Allen not playing and the fans in an opposing arena getting all over the team about Grayson Allen. So hopefully everybody is is focused and, and on point because this team is really strong. They're not obviously at the top of the ACC, but they certainly feel like they can contend. And um, they didn't give us a tough game last year, but I think that they are showing signs of improvement this year. They've got um, they've got four guys who are averaging uh, double digit points and. That doesn't include Chris Clark, who is a 6'6 guard who's averaging 9.8 points per game and 7.7 rebounds. He's had a couple double-doubles recently. Um, so th- there's, a, there's a lot of good to say about this Virginia Tech team and especially the way that Buzz has, has capitalized on getting transfers. I mentioned Lede, who's, who's probably their best player. Um, before he transferred over to Virginia Tech, he was, he was a good player at USF in the American um, athletic conference, but certainly not a, a star and has really blossomed, uh, especially last year and then coming into this year, has really blossomed into a great player for them. So uh, a, a good test to begin the season, certainly not Boston College, who we'll get to soon, um, but also not Louisville or Virginia or or North Carolina. Um, probably a, probably the middle of the road ACC team, but this year in the ACC, um, middle of the road means that you're 35th in Ken Palm and knocking on the door of the top 25. So uh, I think it's a I think it's a great game for for Duke to be starting out with. There will be a real test, and it'll be curious to see how uh, Duke handles not having Grayson Allen on the floor um, uh, against a pretty good Virginia Tech team. Hey, hey, Sam, can can I ask a question? Um, uh, what do you think Virginia Tech's odds are of winning this game? I mean, give me a percentage here. Uh, this is this is clearly the toughest game of the next three that are coming up. Sure. Um, and like you said, they're thirty five in Ken Palm. Um, and, and they're, they're, they're a pretty good team. I, I mean, think, how I huge an upset be, would it be? I, it wouldn't be a huge upset, especially, especially because it's on the road. If this game was in Cameron, I think Duke would, would win not easily, but it would be, you know, 70, 80% likelihood that Duke wins. Um, given that the game is and in Castle, have, I mean, this for, might be, it might the, only the, be 55, 60. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Duke loses this game, but um, but I think that because because their best lineups don't feature their biggest players, they're going to have trouble um, with guys like Emil Jefferson. And if if Harry Giles or if Marquise Bolden have gotten over whatever has plagued them recently, not I mean Giles we have only seen briefly, but whatever's wrong with Bolden, um, I could see Duke really uh, really mixing things up in the middle against Virginia Tech and and having sort of a non Duke performance against them, but but still coming out um, on top easily. So well, and, and don't don't forget, we the, yeah. I was gonna say we, we we got we got a ten ten day layoff, and yeah, I mean so uh, Virginia Tech we, has they've they've got a game tomorrow. Uh, you're right, it's against a cupcake, but um, but it gets them sort of in 
game shape. I mean, Duke hasn't played a meaningful game. They haven't played a game that they feel good about, a meaningful game since, like, what hell, like beginning of the month, Florida or UNLV? I mean, yeah, it's just the, like... The schedule The schedule this year has worked out really strangely because um, we did have the... We had two games almost back-to-back. It was two and three days right after exams and then another long break for Christmas. And I, I don't remember a year where Duke came back from Christmas and their first game back was was conference play you know usually there's there's one or two tune-ups before that so yeah i I wouldn't be surprised if duke loses but at the same time um they've they've had a lot of time to digest what happened last week and hopefully fix some of the things that went wrong against teams that aren't nearly as good as virginia tech um so i'm I'm looking for this team to be more focused than they were coming out of the long exam break because uh, because there are more glaring uh issues to, to solve so they're they're going to be more on their toes, and it's it's conference play, and they're and everybody turns it up for conference play. Hey, hey, let me do one more question. All right, so if Virginia Tech is going to beat Duke, what's the formula? What do you think that's going to happen in the game? Is it going to be a lot of threes? Is it going to be a lot of fast breaks? Is it going to be Duke shooting poor? What 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 do you think would be the formula for this? I think that um, that they so they have two shooters who can who can shoot well from outside Hill especially, and then Seth Allen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a if it's a seven of her nine performance from, from Ahmed Hill that, that gets them over the top. Um, but, but spreading the ball around is really more their, their style. Cause they have um, the rest of the guys don't really shoot that well from outside. So um, it, it's, it's not necessarily going to look like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. I don't know that um, that Matt Jones is going to be matched up on Hill because um, there are other better all around players um justin robinson who's who who is a player for virginia tech not for duke um is a is a pretty good player he's a who's a guard um i mentioned chris clark who is who has had a couple double doubles recently he's a bigger uh he's a bigger guard that that jones might have to defend so hill might not get um the toughest defensive assignment from duke and and he could really go off and that that might be the way they do it what i think is especially interesting about them as i mentioned is that two of their best players come off the bench. So um, if so you, there might be a situation where Duke has sub guys out and all of a sudden Lede is in there um, facing a defender that isn't, you know, Duke's best and is able to, to move them around a lot. Um, so it, it's, they're, they're sort of an inverted team, right? They play as normal lineup, but they get their best minutes um, in, in a couple of cases from guys from the bench. Um, so it would happen later in the game. It wouldn't happen early. And, and obviously the crowd is going to get into it. So if they start knocking down shots, they're going to get really confident. Um, they're not going to win if everyone on their team is shooting from outside. Uh, I think Duke is going to try to try to force the guys not named Hill and Allen to try to shoot from outside because they don't do it that well. And, um, and normally Duke is really good at chasing players off the three point line. I think that you might try, you might try to see them, um, you know, holding back a little bit for the, for those other players, not letting them drive in um, to, to move the ball around, try to keep them outside, make them shoot. If, if they're not those good shooters, because there's a real distinction between the good shooters on this team and the poor outside shooters. That was a great, great preview of Virginia tech. I watch they're, watch. They're going to, they're going to beat us by out rebounding us. And this will have all been done. <laughs> was actually outstanding. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, Sam. All right. Let's move on to Georgia Tech and uh, sorry, Georgia Tech. Um, you're thinking that we're going to have uh, some very rudimentary preview of you, but we have a spy. Uh, Jason Evans lives in Atlanta within a stone's throw of your campus. And uh, well, it's probably a, a very long throw, uh, probably more than a stone. But uh, <laughs> we have I've, a spy. I've, I've, made the drive, I've made the drive from Georgia Tech to Jason's house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If he could throw a stone that far, that would be very impressive. <laughs> yes, uh, it's probably a Bryce Harper cannon. Um, but uh, yeah. uh, we're going to give it to Jason, our our resident spy in Atlanta, and he's going to preview Georgia Tech. So unlike um, Virginia Tech, I, I I don't think Georgia Tech has much of a chance against Duke. There are several experienced players in this team, um, lots of juniors and seniors who play a good bit, but that may not be a really good thing. Um, as these guys have pretty much been in the bottom half of the ACC throughout their careers, 
Uh, this Georgia Tech team was three and fifteen in the ACC two years ago. They were a decent eight and ten in the ACC last season, but they uh, they had one nice win against Virginia. But other than that, they they didn't really play with the best teams in the conference or all. Um, and they also lost their two best players from last year, Charles Mitchell and uh, Marcus Georges Hunt. Uh, Georges Hunt had been at Georgia Tech for nine seasons, I believe. Uh, so they, they lost those two guys, and those and guys Charles were the Mitchell, heart of what. And they Charles did. Mitchell was also at Maryland with Seth Allen, wasn't he, or something? Something yes, good, good call. Yes, he was. He was yeah. at Maryland. So yeah, so he was also Maryland in college. Guys for, everywhere here. <laughs> yeah, he was also in college for double-digit years or something like that. And uh, those guys were the heart of what Georgia Tech had a year ago, and they don't have them anymore. Um, this year, they're really led by um, their man in the middle, six ten junior Ben Lammers. He averages a double double, fifteen points, ten rebounds a game. Um, reasonably physical, but also somewhat skilled, doesn't really go outside at all. I mean, he's not a guy who's going to step out and take three-pointers. And and Duke has had a little bit of an issue um, in some games with big men who step outside and, and picking those guys up. Lammers is not going to do that. He's going to play in the paint for the most part. Um, and, uh, and, and like I said, he's their best player. I think he's going to have trouble with the athleticism that he's going to see from from Duke's big men, um, Emil Jefferson and and... Uh, you know, again, we've talked about Giles and Bolden. At some point, those guys are going to be back. We have to think so. And and I think it could be a real issue for Ben Lammers with really quick players like that. Their most versatile player is probably senior um, forward Quinton Stevens. He's 6'9", um, and he's very long. But he is a guy who goes outside, takes a lot of three-pointers, more than four of them per game. Um, but he only hits 30% of his threes. He can get hot. Um, like they played Tennessee earlier in the year. He was three of five from three-point range. Um, and then they have a, a junior guard named Tadrick Jackson who hits 55% of his threes so far this year. He only shoots when he's really wide open. He only takes a couple of them a game. Um, and I'm not, I think he's going to revert to the mean. Like in past seasons, he hasn't been nearly this good a three-point shooter. Um, and I think this is a guy who, you know, has got hot a little bit early in the season, and it may be time once ACC play comes around for him to revert to the mean. But those are the two guys who are going to take threes. Tech does not take a ton of three-pointers. So Josh Pashner, um is the new head coach at Georgia Tech. He had been at Memphis, and the, uh, before that he was the chief recruiter at, at Arizona. And he's brought in five freshmen to this team. Some of them are doing a little bit of stuff, but not a lot. He really needs a talent infusion on this club. His best freshman is a kid named Josh Okogie who was barely a top 200 recruit. Um, he wasn't even considered among the 10 best players in the state of Georgia last year, but he's a guy who's a real winner. Um, and uh, like his high school team was very, very successful. And he's having a really nice season for Georgia Tech uh, as a freshman. He's their second leading scorer at 14 points per game, uh, gets on the boards a little bit for a guard, gets four rebounds a game. Um, you know, he's a decent shooter no matter where he goes to. Uh, and he's athletic. So he's a little bit of a talent upgrade, but man, they really... Tech just doesn't have the talent, not even close to the talent of Duke, let alone a lot of other teams in the ACC. Um, uh, Josh Pastner, I think, really needed to get to Georgia Tech a year earlier, so he could have had a chance at the class of 2017. I'm going to go off topic for a second here, guys. The class of 2017, the, uh, the, the class that's about to come in from the state of Georgia, is like unprecedented in the amount of talent in it. Get this, 13 of the top 100 players in the class of 2017, are from the state of Georgia. 13 out of 100 are any of them your, Are any of them your remaining son in high school? None of them are my son, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> my son doesn't start for his high school basketball team. He plays a role, but he doesn't play a role of a starter. So he is not among the top 100 basketball players in the state, but 13 are from the state of Georgia, which is amazing. Two of them are headed to Duke, Wendell Carter and Alex O'Connell. Um, two of them are headed to Auburn. Two of them are headed to Louisville. Florida and Florida State each got one. Zero, zero of those 13 players are going to Georgia Tech. I mean, this could have been a year that transitioned the Georgia Tech program to the big time. If Pastner had signed even two or three of these top 100 players that are in his backyard, it would have been huge for Georgia Tech. And it didn't happen. They're not going to get any of them, it looks like right now. There are a couple who are still uncommitted, but Georgia Tech really isn't on the radar for them. And Pastner really needs a talent influx. He's a great recruiter. That was the book on him at Memphis. That was the book on him when he was a, the chief assistant at Arizona. But he hasn't started doing that yet at Georgia Tech. He's only been there a year, so give him some time. As for Tech this season, I know I got off topic there for a moment, but let me rein it back in a little bit. Um, they've got one decent win on their resume so far. They, uh, they, they beat Virginia Commonwealth, VCU, by three points, and it was at VCU. I mean, that's a, that's a 
a pretty decent win. I mean, VCU is not what they were under Shaka Smart, but they're still a top 40-ish kind of program um, and a team that will probably threaten to make the NCAAs and no one will want to play them once they get there. So that's a really nice win on the resume. But there's nothing else that Georgia Tech has done that's even close to impressive. They lost to Penn State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They got trounced by like 25 against Tennessee. They lost to their in-state rival UGA, a game, you know, that's a huge rivalry game. They lost to UGA by almost 20 points just a few days ago. And then they played Wofford the other day, and they only won by four. Now, I mean, Wofford isn't like a terrible team, but that's the kind of team that if you're an ACC club, you're thinking like, this should be an easy game. They only won by four. Um, And to add insult to injury, Georgia Tech starts the ACC with an absolute murderer's row. You ready for their first three games in conference play? They open with UNC, then they come to Duke to Cameron, then they play Louisville. That, that's, <laughs> that is a tough schedule stretch. Poor so them. this team is, yeah, I, I feel sorry for them. And, and they don't have the talent to play with any one of those teams. I mean, you know, if I was in Las Vegas right now, I would probably put money on Georgia Tech losing each one of those games by 15 to 20 or more points. Um, Tech is ranked 144 in Ken Palm. 144 there, uh, you know, thank goodness for BC, because if it wasn't for BC, Georgia Tech would be the worst team in the ACC. Their offense is terrible. They are a woeful number 245 in offense on Ken Palm. They only average 68 points per game. Uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine how a Duke team that, that has one of the best offenses in the country that averages something like 80 points a game, it's hard to imagine how Georgia Tech's going to stay close to them. Tech rebounds the ball fairly well, but they turn the ball over a lot. Almost 20% of their possessions end in a turnover. Um, Their D's okay. They play a a mix. Sometimes they play man-to-man, but they also play a lot of 3-2 zone. Um, And they block a lot of shots. They block about seven shots per game. But um, uh, when they're in that 3-2 zone, uh, you can get rebounds off of them. Um, I've seen teams playing them get, you know, open corner threes and the such. Uh, I I just think this Georgia Tech team is going to have real, real trouble playing with Duke. You know, Sam, I asked you, what's the formula for Virginia Tech to beat Duke? I'm not sure if you ask me the same question that I can come up with a formula for Georgia Tech to win. I mean, I guess they're rated rated lower than our last two opponents on Ken Palm. Yeah, and we didn't play well and beat both of those teams by 10 points. Um, If I had to guess, I mean, Georgia Tech's going to have to ugly up the game a little bit, make it really physical. They're going to have to hope that, that Ben, you know, that Ben Lammers um, is able to to put up his 15 and 10 or even more than that, despite playing against much more athletic big men. And maybe Lammers is able to frustrate some of the Duke big men. And they're going to have to shoot a lot better than they normally shoot. They're, they're just not that good of an outside shooting team. Quentin Stevens is going to have to be, um, he's going to have to shoot a lot of threes, but he's going to have to make a lot more than he usually does. Uh, you know, and, and they'll probably just have to hope that Duke doesn't shoot well, that Duke doesn't play well. If it was at Georgia Tech, you know, you can always go, oh, maybe Duke will have trouble with, you know, with the rims and the sight lines or something like that. But it's at Duke. I, I You know, I, my bet is Vegas will have like a 22-point line on this game, and I, I don't know that I'd take Georgia Tech even getting 20 points. Well, there you have it. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, be prepared for uh, the whirlwind, and we're sorry that we have a spy uh, located in your city, but sorry, we had to do it. We have spies everywhere. Um, but uh, and and in this game, would you would just? I mean, these are blind guesses, but do you guys think that Grayson Allen plays against Georgia Tech? I think he I hope does. he does. I think he does. I, I I think he does, and I hope he does because I would like him to have a home game as his first game back. I agree. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, I'm. I, I'm not sure if he ends up playing, but but it would certainly be like the best one for him to ease back into rather than this one or uh, um, especially like once we get to Florida State and then Louisville after that, the games are going to start to get harder. Yeah, and and uh, I, I don't think he will start. And um, but I think, you know, when Kay brings him in, he'll be the only sub that comes in and the crowd will will, you know, go crazy and really give him a lift. Uh, that's that's my prediction. That's what I think will happen. And I think that would be inappropriate. I don't know how anyone could look at that and say, they only sat him for one game and then didn't start in the next game. I mean, we're talking about one measly tripping, you know. It's, uh, I mean, sitting him for two games. Although a lot of it may just depend on how Grayson 
is doing in practice and what Coach K thinks about Grayson's attitude. Uh, I mean, I, I sort of feel like the suspension is for Grayson to get right in the head more than it is a punishment. Don't you guys agree? I definitely agree with that as well. Yeah, I mean, so, if, he, if, he had, if he had left it up to the ACC to dole out the punishment, um, then like we said before, he wouldn't really be dis- dictating the terms of it. And we won't know soon, if ever, um, what, what, the, um, what the benchmarks are for him to come back, but we don't really need to. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think the benchmarks are an attitude thing. They aren't a performance thing. Because I bet he's not tripping guys in practice, so. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Marquise Bolden still has a foot injury that we, that we don't know the entire details of. So <laughs> I, leave, listen, I, I, I will not speculate on these things. <laughs> Conspiracy theory. So we, we've, I was going to say, we've gone from the team that had the best chance to win, Virginia Tech, to the team that has very little chance to win in Georgia Tech. Now we get to the team that I think has no chance to win. Donald, tell us about BC. Yeah, so let's get into BC. Um, so BC right now is 7-6 and six, uh, in non-conference play. I believe they have one more game uh, in non-conference play before they start ACC season, um, which I guess would be on the 28th or 29th. They're ranked 193rd in Kempom. And let me give you a little taste of like how bad that is. Kempom... If you look at all of the 15 ACC schools, there are 13 teams in the top 57 in his ranking. Uh, the other two are Georgia Tech, uh, as Jason mentioned, which is at 144, and BC's at 193. So there's li- there is a 140 rank uh, position gap uh, in the polls between number 13 in the conference and BC. Uh, so that is how highly... Uh, or, or not highly, uh, Ken Palm. Hey, hey, hey Donald. College. Yeah. Donald, the best thing you can say about BC's um, Ken Palm ranking is they're looking up at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. That's, that's a good start. They should. <laughs> they, they, have nowhere to, they, they have almost nowhere to go but up. There's one place they have absolutely almost nowhere to go but up, and that is their strength of schedule. They are ranked 330th uh, in strength of schedule, which means that they are playing teams with the likes of Maryland Eastern Shore, Stony Brook, Towson, Dartmouth, Sacred Heart, Nichols, who they lost to, Hartford, who they lost to, Fairfield, who they lost to, uh, and they've lost to a couple other teams. The, the best team they probably played was either Kansas State or Auburn. Uh, you can take your pick there, or Harvard, um, and they lost to two of those teams. So um, this BC team, ironically, the last year, um, entering conference season, they also had a 7-6 and six record. And we know we all know how that turned out. They went to go over in the conference. Can, can um, wait, can, I'm sorry. Can I jump in really quick? Did you say they lost to Nichols and Hartford? So Nichols was their first game and in season, Fairfield. and they and, and they lost and they lost to Fairfield as well. Okay, because Nichols State and Hartford are both ranked below 300 in Ken Palm. And Jason, they, Jason, are you sensing a theme here? Oh my bad. God! They're I bad. didn't realize how bad BC was. Yes. So I don't know if you've guys seen the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but there's an episode uh, about Will and uh, Carlton being on the same basketball team. And they had an offense and the offense was called get the ball to Will because Will was their offense. Well, BC's offense, their Will Smith is Jerome Robinson, their sophomore. Uh, He averages 20.5 points a game, 5.2 rebounds a game, 3.2 assists a game and 2.1 steals per game. He is the bulk of their offense. He attempts over 28% of their shots, and he makes 28% of their field goals uh, on the team yep, basis. Yep. So, can, he, can he rap? I don't know if he can rap. Uh, and, and frankly, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm assuming they're all being set up for a career after basketball. That might be his. I have no idea what his interests are. Um, but he's very good at basketball, but apparently the rest of his team is not. Um, I don't know if this team is going to go over in conference play. Uh, I'd like yes. to give them the benefit of the doubt. But yes, they're going to go they over. They might. Um, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say they win one game. Um, but Jerome Robinson is their offense. Uh, he's the bulk of their offense. Kai Bowman, a freshman, um, averages 10.4 points a game, and he's the only other player that averages in double figures. Um, they have a couple guys who can rebound. Um, Mo Jeffers, Connor Tava, and Jerome Robinson uh, are their main guys on the glass. Uh, but they're... Uh, 
they're 265th in adjusted offensive efficiency. Their strength of schedule has been terrible, and they're losing to a lot of these terrible teams. Uh, this team is not good. Um, and it's going to be, if, if, we, if, if we're, we're talking about Grayson Allen, if he doesn't play against Georgia Tech, uh, he's definitely playing against Boston College because this is a game that you can easily ease him back into the offense. Hopefully this is a team, uh, their team has a little bit of size, but not too much size. Um, and this would be a great game to see how uh, Marquise Bolden and Harry Giles can flow, uh, flow a little bit better in the offense um, and get their legs under them. Uh, their best player, um, Jerome Robinson, is 6'5". Kai Bowman's only 6'1". So uh, if you're throwing Grayson Allen, Luke Kennard, Frank, Ro- or, I'm sorry, Frank Jackson uh, at, uh, at these guys, we're going to have the length, we're going to have the size uh, advantage, uh, and we should be able to do well. Uh, on in the interior and also on the perimeter defense, uh, they're not going to shoot a lot of threes. Uh, they they make thirty eight point seven percent of them, but again, most of that is Jerome Robinson uh, taking most of the shots. So if we shut him down, we keep him under twenty points. Uh, the rest of the team is not going to score that much more. So uh, very simple about Boston College. They're not good. If we play our game, uh, our length and our uh, our skill uh, should win the day, and we should probably win this game by about twenty points. Um, By the way, you're not gonna, you know, they're not going to win an ACC game this year. They they get Georgia Tech uh, on the road, and everyone else in the conference is going to beat them handily. Well, so you, they you almost stole beat Georgia. They I was just going to say that. So. I was just going to say that exact thing. I was going to say their only chance for an ACC win because they don't get Georgia Tech at home is on Tuesday, January 31st, Wake Forest comes to BC. And Actually, was, you know what? Their, their best chance for a win— yeah, that game last year, they were down – I'm sorry, they were up five points with 20 seconds left and lost in regulation. Their best, their best chance for a win may be on New Year's Day against Syracuse. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. Might be, that might be the one. Um, did, I just, did I just lead us into talking about the rest of the yeah, ACC? Yeah, well, this is good. So, <laughs> Go for it. We're, we're, Let's get into uh, general ACC impressions. Um, you know, the ACC has been playing pretty well uh, over the course of the season, the non-conference portion of the season. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about who has impressed us, who has not. Uh, hint, hint, Syracuse, you're on the clock. And uh, the biggest surprises in the ACC. So I'm going to start with, with Jason, since he did the lead-in. Uh, Give us a little bit of what you've been seeing uh, so far in the ACC. Well, I'll tell you that... Um... So in terms of biggest surprises, uh, I, I'm going to go with Notre Dame, um, who's 10 and two. Uh, they've really they've really played nicely this year. They've got some some you know some pretty good wins. They beat Northwestern, they beat Iowa. Um, they they played back to back really close games against Villanova and Purdue, and they lost both of those games. But they were um, they were close games. They were competitive games. Uh, and those I are think good, that, those are good teams to beat. Those are really good close. teams. And that Villanova game was a was an incredible game all the way down to the end. They they, I mean, I think they were down. They had four it. points they, or like six points or six uh, not six minutes left with a minute left until they started uh, uh, doing free throw uh, shooting. But uh, yeah, it was really close to the end. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Notre Dame has been um, pretty much as impressive as as anyone in the conference. Uh, and and the reason uh, my other surprise about them, the reason they've been so good, is Bonzi Colson who is the shortest center, the shortest big man in the ACC. Bonzi Colson is listed at 6'5". I think he's actually 6'4", but his arms make it seem like he's 7'3". The dude has like, he looks like he's an alien from another planet. He has the longest arm. And he kills us every time he plays us. Oh, he destroys Duke. He just massacres Duke. Can we, um, can we, can we figure out some sort of conspiracy? Uh, I, I don't want to injure the guy. I don't want him to be hurt. But can we engineer some sort of conspiracy where he has to magically sit out a game uh, against us? Because that would be great. Dude, I, I don't know. But I, the amazing thing is he started this against us in the ACC tournament last year when they beat us. He started stepping outside and taking threes. He's been taking a lot of threes this year as well. And he hits them at a decent percentage. He's hitting almost a third of his three-pointers. Bonzi Colson's averaging 17, almost 17 points a game, 10 rebounds a game. Um, I, I think he's, you know, not that he is ACC player of the year, but he's in the running for it. Um, and I'll tell you, you want an amazing stat about Notre Dame this year in terms of being a surprisingly good team. 
Notre Dame is hitting more than 85% of their free throws on the season. That's absurd. That's awesome. Uh, 85% of your free throws on the season is just... Bonzi Colson's above 90%. Matt Farrell on their team is 27 for 27 from the free throw line. Uh, uh, that, speaking of guys who have been in college for 87 years, Matt Farrell has been in yeah. college for 87 years. Yeah. Uh, Steve Vasturia is hitting 94% of his free throws Wait, on the year. Steve Vasturia is still there? This was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is his 12th season. These guys are 30. <laughs> All I, love, I love the old ACC. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I think Notre Dame to me has been a very surprising team. Um, uh, has played really well. They have nice depth. They play a lot of different guys. No one plays too much. Um, they they rebound well as a team. They pass the ball really well. They average 19 assists a game, which is a really big number. Um, uh, and they just get good shots and they hit those shots. They're hitting more than 40% of their three pointers. If they continue this, and and look, let's be honest. I can't imagine they're going to continue to hit 85% of their free throws on the season. I mean, 75% of your free throws would be great. Duke is hitting 75% of our free throws. It's like the highest free throw percentage that Duke has had in a decade or more. They're at 85%. If Notre Dame comes down a little bit off of that, it could affect them. But I won't be at all surprised if Notre Dame... I, I think Notre Dame has a chance to be among the top four in the ACC this season, which would be really impressive. And then the other surprise to me, we knew they were going to be good I didn't realize how good Louisville would be. Um, they, they beat Kentucky the other day in one of the best games I've seen all year. They've also beaten Purdue. We talked about Purdue a moment ago regarding Notre Dame. The only scratch, the only loss on Louisville's schedule is Baylor. They lost to Baylor by three, and at the time, people didn't know how good Baylor was. Well, Baylor's currently in the top three. They're undefeated. And that game was a third game in three days. They were playing in a holiday tournament. They played Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The Baylor game was the Friday game, and I think Louisville may have been a little bit gassed. This Louisville team is really, really good, and we're going to know a lot about them very, very soon. Get a lo- So they just got done with the Kentucky game. They had a four-game gauntlet that they're on. Um, Kentucky was the first game in the gauntlet. They beat Kentucky. They then play Virginia at home, Indiana at home, and then they go to Notre Dame. And that's over the course of like the next week or so. Um, uh, yeah, a little more than a week t- for those games. So it's Virginia, Indiana, Notre Dame coming up for them. Uh, we will know a lot about the Louisville Cardinals after those three games. And uh, I I don't expect it, but I won't be shocked if they win all three of those games. That's how good I think Louisville is. Um, to me, the top three teams in the ACC are Duke, Louisville, and maybe Notre Dame. So those are my surprises in the ACC so far this year. And my disappointment is Syracuse, who sucks. Um, and everyone is shocked that they suck. But I'll, hey, Sam, give me your surprises and, and disappointments so far. I, I, I just wanted to point out another team um, that has been competitive the last few, very competitive the last few years in the ACC, and that's the Virginia Cavaliers. Um, they, haven't, they don't have a signature win yet this year, but here are the, um, here are the opposing teams' um, point totals for each of their games. You ready? I'm just going to read them down. <laughs> This is fun. Yeah. 50, 51, 32, 38, 34, 41, 52, 61, 66. That's the one game they lost against um, West Virginia, who is really good uh, in a in a Big 12 that I think is competitive with the ACC as far as the, you know the the top half of the conference goes. Um, 53, 39, and um, 52. So, uh, you, you know, Virginia obviously has had they, they don't have a ton of turnover. Um, Austin Nichols, who we discussed some time ago, as was dismissed from the team, but um, but Tony Bennett just manages to get these guys to play just outrageous defense, and no one can score on them, and uh, and it continues this year, right? They're uh, you know, like I said, they haven't they haven't they don't have a signature win yet. The, the best team they've played is West Virginia, who they lost to, but they are ranked third in Ken Palm. Um, they're incredibly efficient, and if when you look at like the the stats for these guys in the team, and you look at the the actual players. Um, their best player is probably the point guard, London Perantes, who I think has also been there forever. But, you know, if a team that, that could end up being a top three, top four ACC team, Perantes might get a third team ACC, all ACC nod just because they're going to have to pick someone if Virginia is that good. Um, but Virginia doesn't feature any any really star players. Um, there's nothing about them that stands out except for the fact that when they get in their defensive stance, you can't score. So I'm I'm constantly impressed and amazed by Virginia and, and at the turnaround that Bennett has had there 
because it, it happened basically overnight for him when he when he showed up um, in Charlottesville and it's continuing rolling this year. I'm very curious to see how they do against upper level ACC competition once they get around um, to playing those games like against, you know, the Louisvilles and Dukes and, and North Carolinas. And then speaking of North Carolina, um, you know, we like to rag on on how the uh, how the scandal has hurt them in recruiting and all these things. But you know what? They keep on trucking. Um, they they've had a pretty good season so far as well, and uh, and they they feature some some guys who are going to be who are going to be NBA, who are going to be good NBA players potentially. Um, so North Carolina has been really good. Uh, Virginia has been really good. I, I guess you know from a distance it doesn't seem like a crazy thing, but but the consistency of Virginia and North Carolina's ability honestly to weather all the distraction of the of the scandal uh, and remain one of the best teams in college basketball. Those are both really impressive. Um, really impressive performances to date for me. Um, I think that you already mentioned Syracuse and their the, the standout when it comes to disappointments in the ACC. And, and I don't think that it's even worth mentioning anybody else because that's the one team where, you know, going into the season, you thought that they were going to be, they were going to be competitive. They were probably going to make the tournament. And as it stands now, I don't know that they will because they're oh, there, sort of on the There's no edge. way. There's yeah, no way. They're, they're Some of their the losses edge. are horrible. And, uh, they and lost to Syracuse by uh, sorry. They lost to St. John's by like thirty points. Yeah, which is which was their worst. There was some crazy stat about it. it was their worst loss in some number of some amount of time or, or some crazy thing like that. And um, St. John's is not good. No, they're not. Uh, I mean, Syracuse obviously has opportunities to to make up bad losses because they play in the ACC. But who are they going to beat? We'll see. Hey, I, I got I got a Virginia thing for you. Um, I'm glad you brought them up. Uh, and by the way, um, one notable thing about Virginia, Kyle Guy, their freshman, uh, their best freshman, has the best hair in the ACC. The dude wears his hair in a bun on his head. Uh, he, he's awesome. He, uh, the, the women must be swooning at that guy. Um, do, we um, have to, do we have to give Jason a lecture about the man bun? Uh, I think we might have to. All right. That, that's coming for you soon, Jason. Oh, okay. Uh, but so the, the cool thing about Virginia, I think, um, there's a very real chance uh, London Prantis is, is right on the cusp of not averaging 10 points per game. There's a very real chance that this team won't have anyone average 10 points per game. I mean, think about, think about how crazy that and is. They could, and, and they could reasonably be a number one seed. Like, you could envision them yeah, being a number one right. seed with no Absolutely. double-digit scores. And it's partially because, I mean, they legitimately play 10 guys. Like, the other cool thing is no one plays more than 30 minutes. Prances plays 29 minutes a game. No one on this team plays 30 minutes a game. They've only got, like, three, three guys, I think, that play more than, three or four guys that play more than 20 minutes a game. They have 10 players. Everybody plays, like, an equal amount of minutes. They sort of say, okay, who's hot this game? Who's playing well? Um, they are nothing but interchangeable parts. It's really, it's kind of, it's pretty cool. And, man, huge props, huge credit to Tony Bennett. Has that also, guy not... with their defensive scheme, that's how that works. Like they're always shuffling guys in because they want to make sure that their defense is always fresh, uh, yeah. and that really plays into the, the point totals that Sam pointed out. Has Tony Bennett won a Coach of the Year yet nationally? I believe he did, but I'm not. I'll, I'll look it up. You guys keep talking. I mean, dude, he he is he's incredible. I, I truly think you could just roll out ten, you know, just very average players, give him a couple months to coach them up, and they'd be a top twenty team. He, he's he's about as good as anyone in the country right now because he's not doing this with big time recruits. None of these guys are top hundred recruits. None of them are, uh, and and he just it's it's amazing. It's amazing. He's been a right, he's I'm been gonna... an ACC Coach of the Year twice, and he won the Henry Ibo Award in 2015. Uh, but he hasn't won he hasn't won Naismith or AP Coach of the Year um, at Virginia. He did he did it his I believe it's his previous role at at uh, Green Bay. Well, that that's a crime because he's. Sorry, Washington State, rather. He, he's, he, uh, so if you took recruiting out, and recruiting is a huge important part of, of coaching, as, as Coach K and Calipari and many other guys will tell you, but if you took recruiting out of the mix, he's the best coach in the country, I think. Tony Bennett is. Almost certainly. I mean, look at what he does with, with, with talent that is nowhere close to the teams that he's playing against in Louisville and Duke and North Carolina and, you know, and, and yeah. all these other elite schools. Okay. Uh, Donald, your turn. Surprises? Disappointments? So, I, I think the one thing when we started out before the season, when people were talking about the conference in, as a whole, uh, they were wondering if the conference was, was top-heavy. Uh, and the answer so far has been yes, but that top has been 13 teams. Um, 
13 teams, as I mentioned before, are in the top 57 in Kempom. The top 11 teams in the ACC so far this year have at most two losses. That's astounding. Uh, if you look at from top to bottom, this conference is stacked. And each game uh, in this conference, I mean, obviously some of that's going to balance out with the conference schedule. But to have all these teams doing so well in non-conference is an incredible thing. And it's not because of strength of schedule. I know we mentioned Boston College and how weak their schedule has been. But for the most part, our teams are playing very, very quality opponents, and they're beating them. Um, and even if they aren't beating them, they're giving them a good show, as, as referenced uh, with Notre Dame versus Villanova. Um, I think these teams, uh, that's the surprise to me, is how many teams have performed above expectations. Usually we have a couple that meet expectations, a couple that are below, and a couple that kind of exceed. Um, but when you have 11 teams in, the in, in a 15-team conference that don't have more than two losses, that is a remarkable accomplishment uh, for a non-conference schedule, uh, especially granted that we have uh, a lot of these guys are in uh, conference tournaments. Um, they, a lot of these guys play high-profile uh, non-conference opponents um, every single year. And we have the ACC Big Ten Challenge, which is another conference that is always uh, compared to us as far as uh, best conferences in the country. So uh, that is remarkable. I think that's a surprise for me, um, that, how well that the conference as a whole is playing. Uh, I echo everybody in saying that Syracuse is probably the, the disappointment. You would think that Syracuse would have been one of those teams uh, that maybe had one or two losses uh, in non-conference, especially given the last couple of years they've uh, played uh, what some would call a weaker uh, non-conference schedule, uh, but still we're always entering uh, – ACC season right in the thick of things, uh, and this year they're not. Um, the one thing I want to say about uh, biggest uh, surprise is I'm going to I'm going to send out some love to my uh, uh, friends down in Miami. I think that this was supposed to be a down uh, year for them, and so far they're nine and two. Um, they have a couple of losses. Um, that are very close, and I think that what they're doing down there, especially we're talking about Virginia with a lot of guys that aren't uh, rated highly uh, in recruiting when they're coming out, um, Miami's kind of doing that same MO, and they're, they're paying attention to what uh, the Tony Bennett's of the world are doing, and they're doing this the right way. So I, I, like, to, I like to see how they progress. Um, that game on January 21st uh, when they come to Cameron, um, and then we go down to uh, Miami in February, I believe it's on the 25th or 28th, uh, those are going to be some good games, uh, and, and I think that with the, with the quality of this schedule that we have coming up, we've talked about how our schedule has been kind of a disappointment, our non-conference schedule, but we've played some pretty good teams that we'll see later on down the line, maybe in the NCAA tournament, and this conference schedule, uh, with the exception of this first week, um, is going to be pretty loaded, and, and I think that is the big surprise is um, our, our team that we um, – I think we still have the best team uh, in the country. I think we still have the best team in the conference. After, and I think that when we uh, enter some of these games, we're going to be getting a, a, their best shot. And their best shot is going to be a lot uh, tougher than uh, people probably put on paper uh, before the season. So uh, I'm really, really impressed with the ACC as a whole. I'm really, with the exception of Syracuse and probably Boston College. Um, but uh, I think that is going to be something to look out for as conference schedule starts. Uh, which one of these teams continues to be hot and which, uh, which of these teams start to fall off. Let's get into uh, the last topic that we have, uh, which is uh, our impressions of our team uh, through the non-conference schedule. Um, as Sam said earlier, we usually have a couple games uh, after Christmas um, before the ACC season starts, but since we have this 10-day break uh, that will end on Saturday, we should get into you know who our MVPs are so far this year, what uh, what the most surprising things that we've seen out of this team, and and what we uh, expect to see uh, as we enter ACC season. So Sam, I'll start with you. All right, um, I think that we all know there are basically two guys you can pick for MVP, um, and I'm going with Emil Jefferson. Uh, obviously, we expected a lot for him, from him coming into this season. He missed last year, uh, most of last year, when he was playing really well. Um, so far this year, I think, is he still averaging a double-double or he's close to a double-double? Um, has been a real leader at both ends of the court. 
and just overall incredible play from Emil Jefferson. And you hear, you know, nationally, I think more people talk about Luke Kennard nationally because he scores more points. But I think that the most valuable guy on this team has been Jefferson just in in all the different things that he does in the rebounding and the defense and um, moving the ball around. He, you know, he, he has become a much better passer and a dribbler in in the time that he's been at Duke. And I think we're going to look back and really, really appreciate um, that he was able to come back for this season and be one of the leaders on this team. I think the MVP so far, even though it is easy, like you said, to pick Luke Kennard, I agree it's been Emile Jefferson. Um, like you said, he, he does average that double-double. 14 points, 14.2 points, 10.8 rebounds per game. Um, but, uh, you know, sort of overlooked, guys averaging almost two blocks per game. Um, 1.9 blocks per game, and, and the quality of his offense, um, his ability to, uh, first of all, he finishes great around the basket, but his ability to, to get the ball in the post and, and use his length and use his, uh, his stride to, to pick off different angles. Um, the guy uses the backboard as well as anyone on the team. Uh, you, you, know, uh, you can count on him to, to put the ball up off the backboard and for it to go in. He's hitting almost 65% of his shots from the field, which is tremendously, tremendously impressive. That is a big, big number. When you, um, when you consider we're talking about a guy who's averaging more than 14 points a game, which means he's, he's shooting a, a, you know, a fair bit. Um, uh, I, I think Jefferson has been absolutely, has been fabulous this year. And, you know, we, we talk about it sometimes, but we don't talk enough. He, he's the voice of the defense. He's the guy in the back who's telling everyone what to do. He's the one who makes all the switches, you know, on the screens and, and that other stuff happening down low. Um, and when opposing teams have trouble getting good shots inside, uh, which they mostly do against Duke, it, it is because Emil Jefferson knows when to double, knows when not to double, knows when to switch, knows when not to switch. Um, he can, uh, you know, if his guy goes out and sets a screen and, uh, and Emil needs to pick up the opposing team's point guard, he's capable of doing that. Um, uh, it, really, really impressive season so far. He absolutely shows that he's a fifth-year senior and that he's a coach on the floor. Um, I thought he's had a, a great year, and, and I, I feel terrible. Donald, I really hope you pick Luke Kennard. As, well, I'm, as I'm really Luke glad Jefferson. you guys picked uh, Emil Jefferson because I am going to go with Luke Kennard. Um, Thank I, goodness. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, obviously there was two guys that you could list, and uh, I'm glad you guys picked one so I could pick the other and, and not feel – uh, too terrible about it. Um, Luke Kennard has been excellent with his scoring. Um, his scoring has kept us in games. His scoring has won his games. And his ga- his scoring has put games out of reach. Uh, and with all respect to Emil and everything that you guys talked about with him being a leader on the floor, uh, you know, before the season, I was one of the people who talked about the fact that leadership was one of the main reasons um, Emil was back. And he has done that uh, and then some um, and it, with his defense as well. But uh, Luke Kennard's scoring has been... Uh, very welcome um, as we figure out who, you know, what this team is and who the pieces are and how they fit together. One thing that we weren't counting on was Luke Kennard to be leading the team in scoring. We all, I think we all said Grayson Allen was going to be the one leading the team in scoring. Um, so for Luke to come on and really be confident with his three point shot, with his mid range jumper, um, which is at 62%, which is an ungodly number uh, for a mid-range uh, percentage. Um, just him figuring out how to score. And also, he's starting to establish a little bit of leadership on the floor. Uh, he, he's playing well on defense. Uh, he's not one of those guys that uh, is, a, is a liability like there, there were at some points last year. Um, and I think that's all based on his confidence. Um, the confidence that he has, that he knows that he can go out on any given night and put up 20 and, and for the most part has been doing that. So uh, I'm going to go with Luke Kennard. I, I like that you guys went with Emil Jefferson because I think he's probably co-MVP uh, in my mind. Um, so I'm glad that we listed both the guys that I think deserve the, uh, the, MV, the mid-season MVP uh, accolade so far. You know, Luke Kennard leads this team in minutes played, almost 36 minutes a game. And, and while I think that's going to go down now that Duke is getting more and more guys back, um, huge credit to him as a sophomore, as a guy who people thought – would be coming off the bench this year. You know, people weren't sure if he was even going to start. Um, huge credit to him for uh, leading the team in minutes played. And you mentioned he's hitting 62% of his mid-range jumpers. Do you know what he's hitting on two-pointers? You know, which includes all the short shots he takes. He's at 69% of his two-point shots. That's a that's a crazy. That's a stupid number. <laughs> yeah, he I mean, actually. I want to say he has kind of the uh, uh, 
Steph Curry syndrome where his mid-range percentage is higher than his layup percentage. Um, and I think both lead the conference. So um, I think that is a, those are stats that are really, really fun to, to see in the NBA, but it's also very, very fun to see in college. Uh, and I'm glad that he uh, has found his, his stroke and found his confidence of, of, you know, just finding lanes and getting the ball in the net however possible. You know, this Duke team has five guys averaging more than 12 points per game. And um, I really feel like any one of those five, Kennard, uh, Allen, Tatum, Jefferson, and Jackson, uh, if I told you that guy led the team in scoring in a game, you wouldn't be even remotely, moderately surprised. Um, and, and I have a feeling we're going to soon add Harry Giles to the mix as, as someone else who, who's like that. Uh, uh, but really, yeah, really impressive variety of skill, so to speak, on the team. Uh, I'm going to throw something out very, very quickly. Um, we, didn't, we didn't talk about this out there before the podcast. Very quick, give me the best game we've played so far this year. And I'll start with you, Jason. Who are you asking? I'll start oh, with I got to go first? Yeah. Can, can, can I look at the schedule really quickly? I, I think yeah. it might be the, the – uh, I think it might be the UNLV game. Um, we – crushed them now you know he's not that good but um it felt like we were really clicking on all cylinders in that game uh i, I thought that was a, a very very i mean you know even though unlv is is not great we more than doubled them um i thought that was probably our our most complete effort sam yeah i'm i, I want to pick a game against a better opponent um i know that uh that and so i'll i'll take just because i didn't get to really think about this i'll take the rhode island game when Luke Kennard was so fantastic, um, just a, an overall really good effort from a against a, a a very talented team that I think had a lot of fans in the audience. Um, you know, Duke hasn't obviously had a lot of road experience per se this season. Um, you know, the, the UNLV game being one of them, but UNLV is is not good at all. Um, so I'm I'm going to take the Rhode Island game. Um, just you know, we we saw a lot of the. Um, we saw a, a, a lot of the capability of this team in that game. And, 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 and I think that Duke's best game is ahead of it, um, is ahead of, of where we are now. So it'll be somewhere in the ACC season where everyone will get healthy and the, the team will really start clicking all together. And, and you'll see us beat a really good opponent, you know, a, a top 25 quality opponent by 20 points or, or so. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to see when that game appears. Yeah, I agree. I, I, when I was thinking about the question, um, in my mind, I was thinking about that Rhode Island game. And it wasn't because of the, you know, the fact that we, we didn't really blow them out. We beat them by 10 points. Um, but that was a top 20 opponent, uh, a team that people expect to be uh, in the NCAA tournament and, and perform well uh, throughout the season. Uh, but I think what we did well is that we fought hard. We, it, wasn't, it wasn't a uh, something where we ran away from them or, you know, we – at every single point of the game, there was some twist or turn. We responded to it, and I think that is what this team is going to need in ACC season. I think that's why uh, that game was kind of the the standout game in my mind, is because no matter what Rhode Island threw at us, we were able to respond back and eventually pull away. Um, and we never, even, despite the game being only ten points, it was always comfortable. Um, we weren't sitting there like it, you know, it wasn't at one of those games during the NCAA, NCAA tournament that CBS. Uh, back in the day would switch to another game. We weren't beating him by 40, but there was not a point where I felt, oh, this game is, is not going well. Um, it was always they would take a shot and then they would, they would get back up and, and fire a shot back. So uh, I think that was our best game so far this year, but I agree with you, Sam. I think uh, we have plenty of season left, and I think as our team becomes more healthy uh, and closer to 100%, we are going to see our best game, uh, hopefully against some of these other opponents that we have coming up. Hey guys, what about Florida? Uh, I mean, now that I look back on it a little bit, that Florida game was pretty darn impressive. Um, yeah, remember how was... good Jason Tatum was against Florida? Yeah, he, was, he controlled the second half other, against Florida. That was that was the other game I was thinking of. So it, it's also a good call. And Kennard and Jefferson were awesome in that game too. Just absolutely. And that was the game where Grayson Allen was was couldn't hit a shot, but was facilitating really well. Mm-hmm. He had eight assists in that game. That was a um, Florida was a really impressive, and that's a good Florida team that we. That we pretty comfortably uh, we we won by ten, but it you know it's one of those games where, like you say, it never felt even remotely in doubt. All I was going to say, all good calls, um, 
and that Duke hasn't really had, I mean, they had one opportunity against a, an elite opponent, which is Kansas, that they, you know, it's not like they blew it. Um, they, they played really well right up until the end um, and, and lost on a last second shot by one of the best players in the country. Um, you know, that, that game might be one of the most impressive just because Duke hung with it with a really great team and, and was severely shorthanded. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the bottom line, you guys said it very, very well, Sam, you said it first. We, we, we definitely haven't seen Duke's best game because we haven't seen the real Duke team. Um, what we've seen has been a, a shadow of what this team eventually will be when, when guys are integrated back into the lineup, when they figure out how to play together, when all the nagging injuries are, are, are past us. Um, you know, we, we won't really know what this Duke team is going to be until maybe mid-January or even early February. And, and I still think it's very, very likely that what they're going to be is a ridiculous juggernaut that stomps on the throat of everyone they play. At least that's what I hope. That sounds good to me. Uh, and I think that will do it uh, this week. Do we have anything else? Wrap it up, baby. All right. I think, we, I think we've covered everything. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and so that will do it for this week's episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, everyone have a happy, healthy new year. Uh, we hope 2017 uh, brings everything uh, a lot better uh, than 2016 did for some of us. Uh, but uh, we will check you out in the new year. Uh, for now, uh, for Sam, for Jason, I am Donald. Thank you guys so much. And Duke Van, take us out.